Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Mind and My Wellness podcast. Have you ever struggled with the feeling like no matter how hard you try, you have no control over certain trigger foods? You can't even just have one or two bites of that cookie. You need the entire thing. Do you find yourself mindlessly eating out of boredom, stress, or distraction? Maybe you even associate your worth with the food choices you make, or maybe you don't even realize that you're doing it. If the answer is yes to any of these, then this one is for you, my friend. In today's episode, I'm sitting down and chatting with food psychologist Jordana Sade, who helps women facilitate permanent change around eating behaviors and reprogram their nervous systems to end self-sabotage. We dive deep into the psychology behind why we make the choices we do around food, how labeling certain foods as bad or off limits can be our demise, why binge eating occurs on a cognitive level, how much the conscious mind plays in our food choices versus the subconscious mind, what to do to start taking control over your eating behaviors to bring back your power around food, and so much more. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome to the Mind and My Wellness podcast, your podcast for all things macros, movement, mindset, and everything in between. I'm your host, Danny Marenberg an ex-yo-yo dieting cardio junkie turned sustainable nutrition coach who's helped over 1,000 women feel confident in their skin by learning how to eat for their goals without sacrificing a life well-lived. I created the Mind and My Wellness podcast to give you simple, effective, and manageable tips you can take away from each episode and implement in your daily life to look and feel like the best version of you. Each week, my guests and I teach you the secrets to mastering your health and owning your power. Nutrition, mindset, movement, and women's health are all topics you'll find here. Think of our time together as your productive little health break from the day. So grab your headphones, fill up your water, and let's dive into today's episode. Hello, Jordana. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Minded My Wellness podcast and have you as a guest. Oh my gosh. I am so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So I know Jordana because, I mean, I don't know, it's maybe been maybe a year or so now that almost a year ago we met and I immediately fell in love with her because One, I think you guys are going to fall in love with her too, just because of her personality. She is just such a light to talk to. And I've never met her in person, but we've gotten the chance to talk just via Zoom and through some coaching projects that we've done together. And I was on her podcast, Head to Heal, which is a really amazing podcast. So if you haven't checked it out, go listen to it. But really excited to have her on the podcast today to talk through all things food psychology and our thoughts and behaviors around food. So to kick it off, why don't you introduce yourself to my listeners? Thank you. And yeah, so just to spare you guys from being here for like two hours, my name is Jordana. I'm a clinical nutritionist and hypnotherapist, and I'm pursuing a master's and PhD in behavioral psychology. So my story started 
as being an overweight child. I was obese as a child and I was the only obese kid in class, which was a very different time than now. You know, this was a long time ago and this was in the Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera era, right? So it was, it was bullied and made fun of a lot for being overweight. And so when I was eight years old, I was playing a game of tag and I had a crush on the cutest boy in school. And I went to tag him and he, in front of the whole school, he went, fatty caught me. And I just remember that day like it was yesterday. And it was in that moment that I just decided, you know, like enough's enough. I just, I want to fit in. I want to be like everybody else. And so I went on my first diet and I didn't really know exactly what to do. So I just starved myself. And, you know, my mom would pack my lunches and I would just throw them out. And then I'd come home and complain about a stomach ache. And I lost weight at that time in my life as an eight-year-old. And people around me started to just give me so much validation and attention. You know, the cutest boy in school started talking to me. I all of a sudden had friends. Even my parents were like, oh my gosh, now we can see your beautiful face. And I come from two cultures that are very big in like appearances and food. Ironically, my dad is Middle Eastern and my mom's Italian. And so these two very vain, if you don't mind, cultures, like they, every time I would go to, you know, a family's house or a relative's house, it would be the first thing that people would notice, right? They would say, oh my, you've lost weight, you've gained weight. Like they have no filter around that type of stuff. And so it was around that time that everybody around me, including my family, started to really praise me and say how beautiful I was, et cetera. And so it just taught me at a young age that being thin meant I was lovable and being overweight meant I wasn't. And this just spiraled into decades of disordered eating and eventually substance abuse. And so when I was in high school, I learned that if I did cocaine and ecstasy, that I would not eat all day. And so those things are also very addictive. And so I was getting further and further down the rabbit hole in this addiction while simultaneously masking my inner pain of just hating myself and also remaining thin. And when I was 20, 19, 20, I was in university and my university, I got kicked out of school. They were like, you're not coming to school. Your grades are awful. You can't be here anymore. And so my parents made me move back home and I didn't have access to cocaine at home. And so I just started drinking a lot. And I was an alcoholic. I was working in this restaurant and I met my now husband and I got pregnant. And that baby saved my life because I can no longer use any of those substances anymore, right? And so in that pregnancy, I had stopped using the substances, but the one thing, and this is where it all started, that came back was my overeating. And I started to really notice that the way that I was eating was very addictive, similar to how I would use the substances. It, it wasn't just I ate when I'm hungry, I stop when I'm full. It was I kept going and going and going. And even when I felt physically ill, it was like I had to have the taste of something. And so when my baby was nine months old, I was like, I have to get the, to the bottom of my eating disorder. Like I have to figure this out. And so I went to become a nutritionist. I graduated as valedictorian with first class honors. And I was hired right out of school to work with a medical doctor. And in his practice, we built this beautiful obesity clinic and we saw like thousands of patients and I was handing meal plan out after meal plan and nobody's losing any weight. <laughs> nobody's getting any better. And at this point in my own life, I was actually still really struggling with this like restrict and binge cycle. You know, I was on keto, low carb, and I would just starve myself. And then I couldn't control myself, uncontrollably eat at night. And so I felt like such a fraud because I'm standing there. I'm like, I'm a nutritionist. And I have no idea how to, I know how to eat. I know exactly what to do, but I have no idea how to change my behavior. So it was then and there that I realized that the reality is 
most people know an apple is healthier than a chocolate bar, but sometimes we choose the chocolate bar anyways. And so I became obsessed with understanding the motivation behind human behavior, especially as it relates to food and our consumption of food. So I went back to school to do a behavioral psychology degree and now a master's and a PhD in behavioral psychology. And that is my whole story. That is an incredible story because you have come so far and I know so many people struggle with this binge and restrict cycle and to really get to the bottom of it and be able to identify what is actually causing that cycle to occur, that's really hard to do. So how did you find a solution to work through that? I know through your studies, you've obviously gotten to a place, especially with your own business where you help with this, but what was that first step that you took to really understand one, that you were in this binge and restrict cycle and two, how to even you know navigate out of something like that? Yeah. So honestly, my studying probably was the biggest catalyst for me to create the changes that I needed to do in order to heal. I mean, I'm saying in quotations because we're always healing, right? Because when I started to learn about the nervous system and when I started to learn about how psychology, like how our psychology or our psyche affects our behavior, it became a lot less personal, right? It was no longer, oh my gosh, I'm out of control or I'm a fraud. I'm a nutritionist who can't control themselves. It was, oh, something's actually going on in my nervous system and something a lot deeper than this food is delicious. You know, food is now chemically engineered. It's highly palatable. It is addictive in itself. We can't ignore that fact, right? But there are some people that can just have a couple bites of cake and then leave the rest. And then there are some people who cannot stop themselves once they start. And so when I became more interested in understanding human behavior, especially when it comes to things like addiction and overconsumption, because addiction was a big part of my past, right? Everything was in excess it became a lot less personal and it helped me to understand this brain body connection and the brain behavior connection, right? Because this is actually not an issue of lack of knowledge or an issue. Because when we talk about when people would come to see me as a nutritionist or thinking, what do I need to eat for my body? And yes, of course we can count macros. Of course we can count calories. We can do, we can be on high carb, low carb, but at the end of the day, there's this really big population of people who it doesn't matter what you tell them, they're not going to be able to follow that plan. And this is a behavioral issue. This is a psychological issue. This is not an issue of not knowing what to do. Yeah. And that's such a good point because I think so many of us feel like, and I I get DMs about this. I know I have struggled with this in my own personal journey, but feeling like, gosh, why don't I have the willpower? Like what's wrong with me? Because why can I not stick to this diet? Or previously, and, and I've worked with clients who have felt like this too in the past where it feels like, okay, you know what I'm trying to do? Cookie cutter diet, letter A, and it's just not working for me. I know I tried, you know, whole 30 so many times and it's just so it was too restrictive for me, but I was telling myself that well, something's wrong with me because other people can adhere to it. So I'm weak or I'm, you know, <laughs> not adherent. I don't have willpower. And so what you're saying is that's actually it's not entirely true. It's you know, we need to reframe some of the ways we're thinking about the food that we're eating. Am I correct in that? 
Absolutely. And the reality is like, if we want to look at the facts, you know, I'm very academic. I love research. And so we want to actually look at the research when it comes to diets in general, all diets have a 98% fail rate. You look at the statistics and it's like, all right, we're going to lose weight really quickly. And then within eight months to a year, we've gained back every single pound and sometimes more. And that's in 98% of people. And so if you feel like you might fall into that category of the majority of people, right? Following a specific restrictive type of diet is genuinely going to set you up for failure because when you do the diet and you cannot adhere to it, human beings are very emotional. And the reality is eating can be, we can eat for many reasons. We can eat for pleasure. We can eat and it brings people together. It's a very beautiful thing, but eating actually should not be emotional. And so when we start to tie an emotion to the way that we are consuming the one substance that we require to survive, things get a little bit murky. And instead of us starting to think, you know, oh, uh, this diet might not work for me. This is not sustainable. It's there's something wrong with me that I not cannot adhere to this diet. And really when it comes to body image or eating disorders in general, over and over and over again, it's actually not about the food at all. And it's the body. I mean, of course, this is our physical reminder of how good or bad we think we are, but it's actually not about that either. The physical representation is just a representation of what we feel about ourselves internally. And so if we have those inner beliefs of I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, we're going to keep looking for that reinforcement and validation in the way that we behave around certain things. And food, because it's directly related to our appearance, is very high emotional or very emotional in that way. Yeah. And, and something that I've noticed about myself that honestly, I think it was through some of your content that really helped me to really like understand some of this too. And just through my own, you know, education and practice was really identifying that I am an emotional eater and I was able to really identify those triggers for me. So with stress, if I was, you know, bored, if I was just trying to pass time, those are, definitely triggers for me that, especially with stress, or if I'm trying to procrastinate or distract myself, I would always go to food to kind of be that distraction, if you will. Have you worked? I mean, I'm sure that you've worked with clients that this is, you know, a big part of that. How do you go about helping clients like that, that are identifying with a specific emotion around a food to kind of disassociate food from coping with that emotion. Totally. So two things that I want to say with that question, because it really, at the end of the day, your brain is a big muscle and it's just a bunch of habits. And so there is a component, you know, when we talk about food psychology, it's not CBT for eating behaviors or psychoanalysis for eating behaviors. I'm talking about all types of psychology, psychoanalysis, humanistic psychology, spirituality, all of these things need to come together to create the perfect balance for you specifically. But the reality is when we talk about behavior and behavior psychology, it's really about retraining the brain. So I'll come back to that in a moment, but I just want to address the stress eating or eating out of boredom because this is the one I see most commonly. And it it is such a human thing to do. And I really, really mean this. And I hope that this takes the edge off or takes some of the emotion out of it for everybody listening, because we have certain parts of the brain that deal with things like stress or boredom or all of these more negative emotions. And at the end of the day, the brain hates being uncomfortable. It hates it because 
the nervous system does not know the difference between financial stress, emotional stress, or I'm literally running for my life stress. All it knows is cortisol, adrenaline, no epinephrine. Like it's just the chemicals that get dumped into bloodstream, right? And those chemicals bind to your cells and they tell the cells how to behave. And so when we are in these states these of uncomfortableness or stress, the amygdala, which is this part of the brain, it's like the size of an olive, this olive-sized part of the brain, it lives in the back of the brain. The amygdala is a very primitive part of the brain and the amygdala monitors or governs our fight or flight response. And so when we feel that stress, the amygdala fires. It's like, we're in danger. And the prefrontal cortex, which is what makes us human, which is right at the front of the brain, as soon as the amygdala fires, the prefrontal cortex just shuts off. So the prefrontal cortex is where we have impulse control. It's where we have executive functioning. And so when we're in that state of stress, not only do we not have impulse control, so we're going to be more impulsive with things. We're not going to be able to like control or have willpower, but the taste of sweet literally means to the brain's safety. And when we are physically chewing, we are sending messages up to the nervous system that we are going to live another day. So in a state of stress, chewing will actually naturally, temporarily, of course, turn that stress response off. Now, the problem is if hunger is not the problem, eating is not the solution, right? And so we don't actually deal with the stress effectively. In fact, we develop this new habit where it's kind of like we seek instant gratification, but we sacrifice long-term pleasure because now we have this perfect coping mechanism that just temporarily deals with our stress, but nothing ever gets fixed. And our brain actually never learns how to move through dysregulation. Yeah. That is wild that I actually, I had no idea that chewing was a mechanism to kind of cope. It makes a lot of sense. That's, that's crazy. So in terms of how to like identify and and any tips you have for anyone listening who feels like, oh my gosh, this so resonates with me, but like, what do I do instead to help from going through emotional eating in terms of stress eating? And what kind of tips do you have that we can implement? Totally. So stress eating is very different than eating out of boredom. In behavioral psychology, boredom eating is, so there's different functions of behavior. The function of eating for boredom would be to escape the boredom, right? So we will engage in eating behavior to escape a demand, escape our work. So we'll procrastinate through eating. And eating for boredom is so common. And that's actually a very easy one to navigate because there's no heightened emotions with boredom. It's just you know, I'm not stimulated. I'm not, I don't feel fulfilled in this moment. And therefore my brain is looking for reinforcement, validation, something to feel good. Right. And so when it comes to eating from boredom, it's a very easy one to fix because in that way you want to, first of all, take all the emotion out of it and imagine that you're learning a new skill. If you were going to learn how to play the piano for the first time, you would have to sit at the piano. You would have to open up the book, you know? And so when we're eating from boredom more often than not, we have these subconscious programs that are just there and patterned in order to get us access to the reinforcement. And so when you notice, if you're sitting down at your desk and you're just bored or you don't want to do your work and you notice you keep going up to the kitchen. Now, the first time that you get that cue of, Hey, I want to go have a craving. If we respond to that immediately, craving, eat, craving, eat, craving, eat, we build a very strong association. Next thing we know, we don't even hear the craving. We're just eating. Right. So this is how the brain works. It's called classical conditioning. This is, you know, we learn based on association. So what I would suggest, and (laughs) this is really good advice, if I do say so myself, because it works every time is as soon as you hear the craving, 
you don't want to say no to the craving. Because eating is related to survival, the primitive part of the brain that doesn't understand you just ate is going to freak out thinking it's going to starve. So you never want to say no. All you want to do is create space between the desire and the behavior. So if you hear that first craving and you just say, okay, I'm just going to write this email first and then see how I feel. Do you see how we've created a delayed response? And in that delay, you're going to recognize that cravings are not commands and that motivation that you have to engage in the eating behavior is actually going to dim back down. And it's going to feel less like a command and you're going to be able to navigate an appropriate response where you're going to feel more in control and less in this autopilot place. That makes sense. More level-headed when you're actually making the decision. This actually made me think about when I worked corporate jobs, my first corporate job, and actually probably the first two, they had stocked the kitchen with like tons of snacks. And I remember coming into that first job and I was very stressed. I was working in advertising at the time and it was a lot of new information for me, but also very high goals that I had to hit. And so I just remember my like outlet was getting up and going into the kitchen and getting the snacks. And I think one day I ended up counting because I started quickly gaining weight and I was, you know, like, okay, I know it has to do with the fact that I am just like constantly eating. And I counted one day that I had got up nine times to go to the kitchen to grab. And of course the snacks aren't, you know, veggies. It was like trail mix and the Chex mix stuff and all foods that are great. Nothing against those foods, but the amount that I was getting up to go and eat them when I wasn't even hungry, it was more of just a, I need to escape for a little bit to go get, (laughs) to go get my snacks. It, to your point, it did become this conditioning where, you know, for an entire year, that was like my outlet. It was getting up and going to the kitchen and, you know, I'd chat with people in there, but I was eating and it was this conditioning of, okay, you know what? 10 more minutes of this meeting. And then I'm immediately going to go to the kitchen and get that, that snack. So that's really interesting. I hope you're loving today's episode. I wanted to quickly interrupt to share with you something that I only wish I knew years ago on my health journey that changed everything for me. I was the girl who had tried every diet under the sun, worked out seven days a week, yet was constantly left feeling disappointed that all my hard work and time wasn't paying off. Can you relate? If the answer is yes, then my free training, Three Steps to Transform Your Body with Macros, is just for you. In this training, I share the secrets to leveraging your metabolism to lose fat without restriction, eliminating the foods you love, or sacrificing a life well-lived. So if you're ready to say so long to yo-yo dieting and kick low-calorie diets to the curb, you're not going to want to miss this free training. Head on over to mindedmymacros.com forward slash free training to register today. Or you can head on over to my show notes to find the link. I hope to see you there. All right, now back to the episode. When it comes to having clients or working with women or men who feel like there are certain foods that are triggers for them, or they feel like they can't even keep inside the house because they completely lose all control over foods like that. Do you have any 
psychology behind why that is and why we feel like we have to restrict certain foods or not buy certain foods because of this oh if i if i buy these cookies i'm going to eat the entire box i don't have any control over just eating a couple of them yeah well i think you actually answered your own question right there it's like at the end of the day and i was going to say this when you were talking about and um, when you were working corporate and getting up and getting up again and getting up again because that's actually very normal it is actually very normal for the brain to want to escape uncomfortable or, you know, arduous situations. I'm just going to say pain and go towards pleasure, right? That That is a very human thing to do. What makes this super emotional and where we start to see the disorder actually come into play is when we make it very personal. So I'm sure if you kept going up once, going up twice, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? And right when you asked that question at the very end, you said, what do we do with people who, you know, say I lose control around these foods. I just can't have them in the house. Well, because you've developed that identity and understandably. So your past experience with it, your previous behaviors have led to the identity of, I obviously cannot control myself around these foods. So for everybody listening, it's not that I'm dull to that. I understand that you've, this is a learned identity, right? But the reality is when it comes to food, Food is very different than any of the other addictions. I'm in a rehab center for 10 hours every Sunday. And I work with these addicts and some of them are addicted to crack, others heroin, some fentanyl, and then, you know, like some sex or gambling. But food is very, very, very different because food is the only substance that we actually need to survive. We can live without alcohol. We can live without heroin and we should. We We can live without crack, right? But we cannot live without food. And so because the brain and the nervous system is so complex, there are parts of the brain that deal with different things. And the primitive part of the brain or the animal brain, if you will, deals with food. This is getting all of our basic needs, food, water, shelter, sex. So the conscious part of the brain, the part that makes us human is where all of our goals and dreams live. It's like, I want to be rich. I want to be thin. I like the color blue. It's These are where all of our goals and dreams are. But the animal brain is all it cares about is its basic needs, right? And so if you had a dog and you gave that dog a milkshake and an apple, the dog would not be eating the milkshake thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this is going straight to my ass. Like the dog is like, food, good. And so when the conscious part, the human part of the brain starts to restrict a specific type of food. The primitive part of the brain does not understand that it's not going to have access to other foods. The primitive part of the brain really just feels like all food is going to be restricted. So when you give yourself access to that food, even just for a minute, you're going to overconsume. I'm going to explain it like this because I think it's an easier way to understand. But if you did not have access to water, all week. And then for one hour on Monday, you had access to water. How much water do you think you drink in that one hour? All of it. Yeah. A lot of it. (laughs) You would not even feel the I'm full of water. You would go way beyond because the brain literally has places that bypasses our impulse when we try and restrict something specific that is related to survival. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, chips are not related to my survival. Donuts are not related to my survival. But the reality is they are because they are food and the primitive part of the brain can't distinguish between good food and bad food. The conscious part can, but the primitive part cannot. And so the more that you feel I'm out of control around this food, the more you try and restrict it, actually, the more you are going to be out of control, the more you're going to overconsume. Yeah. I love that you're mentioning this too, because I talk a lot about this black and white thinking around food or 
labeling certain foods as good or bad when in reality, oftentimes labeling foods as bad, it associates restriction, which oftentimes can lead to, you know, restricting it to lead to binging or or whatnot. And maybe unsustained results is what I see a lot of the time. You had mentioned, you had wrote in one of your Instagram posts, you don't teach your brain anything new when you avoid foods. And I absolutely loved that. Can you dive into that a little bit more in terms of what you see when we are labeling certain foods as good and bad? You alluded to it a little bit, but, you know, diving in a little bit deeper to how actually, you know, restricting that cookie or that ice cream with your kids on a Sunday, how is that actually being more detrimental than it is beneficial restricting that out of their diet? Yeah, absolutely. I love this question. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier where I said, you know, the brain is just a big muscle and I'm going to get a little spiritual here. So bear with me, but go for it. I am really in the phase of my life where I am sick of, I'm going to generalize, but women or people in my audience is women, but I'm sick of people, individuals giving up their power to things that do not deserve it. Okay. At the end of the day, there is nobody else in charge of your experience, but you. So do the cookies have the power or do you have the power? And you get to make that decision, you know? And so I really believe, and this is also behavioral psychology, if you go to a dog park and you get bit by a dog and you always avoid the dog park, you are always going to be afraid of dogs. The brain doesn't learn anything new. In fact, it's negatively reinforced by the fact that like, actually the fear gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because we never actually face that fear, right? And so this is really about taking charge of your own nervous system, taking charge of your own life and directing it. It's, this is about being in your authority, being able to say, okay, We've had some negative experiences with cookies in the past, but this doesn't have to be my future. How can I actually be in the driver's seat of my own life and get over this fear so that I can learn how to use these foods moderately, right? Because I'm I'm definitely not like my audience is weight loss. I believe I'm really of the mindset that obesity is a major killer, a major problem, and it's an epidemic and it keeps growing. And I, I want everybody to find the healthiest version of themselves truly. And I believe everybody has that. And so I'm not saying, oh, we just need to eat all the pizza and be fine with it. It's that when we actually train the brain to be able to engage with these foods, good or bad, in a very moderate way, then there is no self-sabotage. There is no overconsumption. And in that place, we can just enjoy our life again, you know? Yeah. And, and I think listening to that, it's like, oh gosh, that seems so simple, but I know it's not that simple for a lot of people. So what would you recommend as like a first step that somebody take in order to kind of work in that direction to experience this disassociation from labeling foods a certain way? Yeah, for sure. So I had a client, it was a one-on-one client and every morning for breakfast, she would eat two rows of Oreos. Oreos were her thing. It had to be Oreos. And so what I had her do was I had her take an entire, and we were, we tried to work on it. I would say, eat the chia pudding first, and then let's see how you feel. And I would hold her hand through the whole thing and just nothing. She was my Mount Everest. Nothing was working. And so I had her take an entire day to eat one Oreo. I sat with her 
on Boxer one whole day. Take a bite, put it down. Take a bite, put it down. Go do your thing. Take a bite, put it down. Go see a client. And by the end of that day, not only has her had her brain learned something new because it had learned how to actually engage with this substance where she used to feel out of control. She should just black out and eat it. But she now actually no longer needed the Oreo. This is years later and she's never gone back to that habit. And so I really feel like the fear of losing control and knowing that these are problematic foods, having that identity about yourself and just kind of giving up your power to the pizza um, is step number one that we need to understand that's not true. And then the other step, and this has to be done in a very specific way You can't do this when you've had a really stressful day and you just want to have a bowl of ice cream. You have to do this and approach it as if you just want to learn how to play piano. You just want to sit down at the piano and open up the piano page. You know, so it has to be approached as if I'm just going to try this exercise today. Let's see how it goes. So if you have a problem food, what I say to my clients and what I would say to all of you is I'd say, buy it, bring it in the house and take one day and just approach it like an exercise you cannot judge yourself. There has to, judgment has to be taken out of it. It's like when I go to the rehab center, everybody plays basketball there and I'm terrible at sports. And so I've had to learn how to play basketball. My first time playing basketball, I got zero in. I didn't judge myself after that. I've never really played, right? But the more I practice, I got better and better and better. And I've never won against somebody. But now I get like three or four baskets in. And so when you approach this exercise, you really want to do it from a place of, I'm just going to try this out. I'm just going to practice. I'm going to teach my brain something new. And when you do it that way and you take the emotion out of it, there's no possible way for you to lose control or fail or do something wrong because we're just observing. It's almost like you want to approach the exercise with curiosity rather than I have to get it right. I can only have one bite of this cookie. It's like, can I see how long it takes me to eat one cookie? in a whole day. That's so exciting. And because human beings actually are naturally competitive with ourselves, we want to succeed. We want fulfillment, right? You will actually notice that you'll start to play a game with yourself and you're going to feel more in control around that food, but you're also going to develop a new skill, which feels really cool. Yeah. Thinking about that too, it made me think of a client that I had just talked to two days ago who she is, she's actually working two jobs and her, one of her jobs is in a restaurant. And so she, you know, you can imagine she has really long, long days, but also she's like, well, sometimes at the end of my shift, I, you know, I get 50% off. Like I just want that piece of cake and I just want that cookie. And I know some women can just have a couple bites and be okay with it. I am not that person. I am the girl who's like, If I have a whole piece of cake in front of me, I am eating the entire piece of cake. But something you mentioned that I think about now because of my conversation with her was she was assigning a value to eating the whole piece of cake. Like she was telling herself that she's not as strong of a woman or as worthy because she ate the entire piece of cake. Do you see how it makes it very emotional and very personal when it's actually just not? Yeah. And so when you were talking about going up when you were working in corporate and you went up and then you went up and went up, if you had continued to say, I'm out of control, there's something wrong with me, what's going on? Do you see how then the primitive part of the brain would have gone, "Uh uh-oh, she's going to put me on on a diet, like food's going to be scarce, and then you're going to lose control around these certain foods, right? And so when you approach this, it has to be done from a place of, non-judgment. It means nothing about me. I'm just going to try and learn this new skill because let me tell you something, and I'm going to be so brutally honest. 
I was never the person who could have a bite of this and a bite of that. Sweets are my kryptonite or used to be my kryptonite. Anyways, I would go from Tim Hortons in Canada. We have Tim Hortons. It's like Dunkin' Donuts. I would go from Tim Hortons to Tim Hortons to Tim Hortons, going to find the best donuts, one donut after the next all night long. In the middle of the night, I would get out of bed and go and get takeout. And I couldn't stop myself until I felt physically ill. And then I would do it all over again. I would swear I would tomorrow would be better and do it all over again. Now I, my husband hates it because we'll get a box of chocolates and I just take like a bite of all the flavors I want and just put the rest back. And there's just, I just don't care, but I've, I've had to actually teach my brain how to do this. Yeah. And that practice really helps in my practice. We also use hypnotherapy, which of course helps as well, but it's like, you actually all can do this right now. You can just face the fear and practice and teach your brain something new. Can you talk a little bit on hypnotherapy? Because I think it's so interesting and I don't really know if a lot of my listeners, maybe some of them will be familiar, but I think it'd be really helpful just to kind of touch on that piece as well. Yes. I love hypnotherapy. So hypnotherapy does have a bit of a weird reputation, especially with what we see on TV, or if you've ever gone to a magic show or seen somebody do like stage hypnosis, as we say. Hypnotherapy can be many different things, and there's many different stages or levels of hypnosis. So for somebody who's doing a magic trick with hypnosis, where they're quacking like a chicken, clucking like a duck or whatever it is, that's definitely not the type of hypnosis that's going to be effective for behavior change, right? Hypnotherapy was originally developed by um, one of the founders of hypnotherapy was Dr. Mesmer, as probably you know the term mesmerized. And so hypnotherapy was originally designed to help people go through surgery without feeling pain. So it was the original anesthesia. And I've actually watched a four-hour brain surgery of a woman who had no anesthesia and she felt nothing. And some people will do things like hypnobirthing. I've had two kids. I did not opt for that (laughs) either time. Um, So take it with a grain of salt. But when we talk about hypnotherapy for behavior change, it's so effective because like I said, we have this conscious part of our brain that makes us human. This is where our goals and our dreams are. This is where all of our identities, our values to ourselves, our limiting beliefs, our trauma, everything is stored in that part of the brain where we develop our self-concept and if we're good enough and if we're lovable and all these different things. Now we live about 2% in that conscious part of the brain. So the conscious part of the brain is where our goals and our dreams are and the subconscious part of the brain, which is 98% of our day, it's roughly 95 to 98. That's where all of our habits are. And the subconscious part of the brain is developed before the age of seven. And so, you know, with our conscious mind, we could say all day long, I want to be thin. I want to be healthy. But if we keep behaving in ways that are inconsistent with our goal, it's like, I want to be healthy, but I keep binge eating. Well, that's not because you don't have any willpower. That's because your subconscious mind is on a completely different program. And that's where hypnotherapy really comes into play because what it does and the specific techniques that I use with my clients is it helps us get into that subconscious mind by bypassing the consciousness. So we bypass the limiting beliefs. We bypass all of the negative emotions and whatever, and we get into the subconscious and we can create a new program. And so I use hypnotherapy a lot. There's many different techniques that I'll put in with my clients. But again, it's not a magic pill like nothing is. It's okay, so we do the hypnosis and then we need the integration. Then are we actually following up on it? Are we are we choosing to follow what the subconscious is, the, the new program is? Or when we feel full, do we just keep going anyways? I'm not sure if that resonated, but yeah, it's not a magic pill, but it's very, very helpful. 
Do you do that with most of your clients that work with you? Is it kind of paired hand in hand with your programming? Yeah, I do it with every client. I've had some clients, some older clients. I have a client who's 90. She's so sweet. Oh, she's so lovely. And she's been bulimic her whole life. And yeah, and since we've been working together, she has not binged or purged once. And so with her, you know, we'll use the hypnotherapy, but when we get to the, sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The mind gets very resistant as it gets older. And so with her, it's more like a meditation type of hypnotherapy that we'll do. But some clients are very adverse to it and I don't push. But it is a really helpful tool because if you're somebody who feels like you are out of control a lot and that you just are stuck, 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 hypnotherapy is something that you can just take your hands off and say, do it for me. And it will set you up for the success that you desire. You still have to do the thing but it's going to change the way that the brain functions to prevent you from staying stuck in the same cycles. Yeah. I just got the chills because I've done a lot of, it's different, but like I've done a lot of mindset work, working through these subconscious beliefs that I didn't even know I had until, you know, I went to therapy and I've done a lot of self-discovery, if you will. And so it's, it is wild that a lot of those beliefs we have are kind of underlying and can influence our conscious. So having some sort of technique to work through that is is amazing. And I don't think enough people know about it. If I were to ask you, what are the three things that you would recommend somebody listening to this episode who feels like, oh, this is me to a T. I am just struggling with choosing foods and having this all or nothing mindset and binging and going from one end of the spectrum to the other. What are three tips or three places to start for that individual? So as you mentioned, a lot of this is mindset, right? So when we, in my program, I have the mindful method is my like signature program that I, that everyone basically goes into. And for the first six weeks of it, we don't even talk about food. Like food is actually not the problem. Food is the solution to your problem, which is the inner pain or the boredom or the childhood trauma or whatever it is. And so the first thing that I would say is I would say, be willing to do some of the deeper work. Because if you can, this is not an issue, like I said at the beginning, this is not an issue of not knowing. So if you just start another diet, you aren't going to succeed if you didn't succeed the last one. It doesn't matter that this one is high protein versus the last one, which was low carb. That does not matter. What matters is that your desires and your behaviors are not aligned, right? So the first thing would be, be willing to do the deeper work, be willing to see some of the bring up some of the parts of you, do that self-discovery, if you will. You have to be open to that. The next thing is take your fucking power back. My God, pizza does not have power over you, right? And honestly, this past couple of weeks with all of the celestial stuff going on, everybody was in the void. Everyone was just helpless. I saw your post on that. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And so we can act like a toddler sometimes and that's okay. I've had many adult tantrums. But at a certain point, nobody's coming to save you. It is nobody else's responsibility to do this work for you. And if you want a different future for yourself, you have to ask for it. You have to, somewhere in you, have to decide that you deserve it. And then the last thing would just be to get the help that you need. Especially with me, I offer so many free resources. If you're not going to invest money, invest your time. 
learn about it, be open to it, become curious. And from there, we can do anything. But if we approach something with judgment or restriction or this all or none thinking in, oh, this is going to be the answer for me, we're just not really going to get anywhere because you never are at the end destination. You're, you're always on a journey, right? So you get to decide, does life become about reaching a specific goal or can you fall in love with the journey? Because once you get the goal, you're going to create a new one and a new one and a new one. Most of my clients come to me because they say, Jordana, I want to be binge free. I never want to binge again. And I'm like, no problem. We can do that in six weeks or less. That's the easy part. Then they get there and they're like, oh, actually, I'm now that I have food freedom, I want this. And now I want to lose 20 pounds. And now I want to lose 40 pounds. And so you're always going to have another goal. Yep. And so if we learn to fall in love with the journey and we approach life with curiosity, then we can do this from a place of love and we can learn to just really live our life. And that's kind of what it's about. Ah, uh, I love that. I think I saw you're doing an in-person event. Is that right? I am. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that. It's going to be insane. Like I said, there are so many different techniques that we can do. And because I built my business really in COVID, right? So thank God for COVID because I never would have learned how to use Zoom. Like that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Sorry if that's triggering for people, but it really allowed me to work with people from all over the world, which I think is amazing. I have clients in Spain, Germany, Bali, everywhere. And so that's amazing. However, being behind a screen really just allows us to hide a little bit. And there are certain techniques with hypnotherapy or reprogramming the mind that we just can't do effectively online. And so my whole event is called Be Whole and then Body, Mind, Soul. So it's all about reprogramming the mind, healing the body, connecting to the soul's purpose. Because a lot of my clients, it's not just that they want to come to me for food freedom. A lot of my clients have hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, have their thyroid completely taken out, hormonal disorders, PCOS, endometriosis. Like We have to address all of those things. We can't ignore the body. But if the body has developed any type of imbalances, it has to come from the mind first. The body is nothing without the brain. If you were to walk and stub your toe, you wouldn't even feel that pain until the nervous system tells you to. So the body follows the mind, right? So if we want something to change in the body, whether that be just to optimize our, have abs like for optimization, or if it's like, I don't want to have tinea versa color anymore. I don't want to have acne anymore. We have to change the mind that that's inevitable. So we program the mind, heal the body, and then connect to the soul is kind of this last pillar that has really evolved in my practice in the past year, year and a half where it's just very apparent to me that a lot of people feel really unfulfilled and and unpurposeful. And when we talk about things like addiction and overconsumption behaviors, a lot of the time we're trying to fill a void. And I believe everybody has a purpose. I believe everybody has a gift. And when we are connected to our soul, everything gets a lot easier. And it's almost like we feel alive, we feel activated, we're able to work in things that we feel, we have a creativity, things that we feel passionate about. And so I just want everybody to feel that way. (laughs) And so this event in person, it's at one hotel in Toronto. I have guest experts coming from Michigan. There's just, yeah, it's going to be incredible. The food is all five star. It's a whole day event. And the whole purpose of it is to be able to create a new identity. So it's on 11-11, we're going to utilize that portal and yeah, just have basically six months of healing in like eight hours. 
Amazing. It sounds like a beautiful experience. I want to thank you for, for, I feel like I could just talk to you for hours about this. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Can you let my listeners know where they can find you? Yeah. Thank you so much, Danny. I'm most active on Instagram. I'm sure you'll link all this stuff up. I'll link everything in the show notes. Perfect. I have TikTok, but I am not very active. I don't really know how to use it. And uh, my website, of course, and my podcast. My podcast is a good place. Lots of free resources there. Yes. Love your podcast. It's another great listen. So if you love your podcast, go head over to Head to Heal Podcast and go follow, rate, review, listen to all the goodies over there. But thank you so much for joining. And this was such a great conversation. Oh, I had such a good time. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Of course. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I love hearing from you. So shoot me a DM over on Instagram at Mind and My Macros to keep the convo going. If you've learned anything from this episode or any of my past episodes, I'd really love it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I love hearing what you've learned or what you've taken away from any of these episodes. It means so much to me when you do that. And if you have any friends you know that need a little help kicking some old dieting mentalities to the curb and want some simple, effective, and sustainable tips to feel their best, share a link to this episode with them. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time.